Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, uh, it reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report, um, which, you know, sticks out enough for somebody who I've known for years to come up to me at a show and be like, are you still doing that Believe thing? Oh, you mean the Comedy Bureau Field Report? The podcast that, I mean, I didn't have the bleep. So good job on branding for bleep. It works. Um, misspelling things works. Enough of that, Michigan, on to this week's great guest, uh, the general manager, but I uh, more uh, appropriately know him as the guy at the Yard Theater here in Los Angeles, a uh, place that you can often find me standing near my bike. Uh, please get up for Isaac Lanford, everybody. Yeah, applause, applause, hold, hold, hold. Yep. <laughs> that reminds me of the applause bit you did with Chad for uh, Stand Up and Clown Presents Masterwork. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That was that. I think that's my like the, my favorite thing that's happened on that show actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh. The for Isaac was in the booth for that show, and that's a show where essentially uh clown LA clown ringleader Chad Damiani um puts sketch improv and clowning groups through the ringer to present a beautiful moment. And uh Isaac was instructed to do a blackout on his double clap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah, it was either the clap or the double. It's like a clap for lights or double clap for blackout or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, and I think, actually, I think it was a single because I think that's why it was able to come back so easily later. <laughs> right, because he kept clapping. <laughs> I, I loved it so much because it was like thirty-five minutes later. <laughs> right, <laughs> what a that that's how you do a callback. <laughs> yeah. And I look because it was not something that like I had in the bank at all. Right. Which I wish I would have had that forethought. That's a great joke. But I was like up there like fucking around. Like I have ADHD. So like if I'm in the booth for a show, like I'm also doing emails at the same time or whatever. Sure. And I just had, he clapped and I just was like, oh shit. And jumped on it, you know? Right, 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 right. And then it, it made Chad break a little, which is always a uh, a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, arguably, that that is one of the uh, appeal, uh, the attractions for that show. Um, for those uh, unacquainted with the Yard Theater, uh, located at 4319 Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, uh, how would you describe the Yard Theater, Isaac? It is, and I apologize, I'm being so rude, but the person who's supposed to be coming in the door right now is texting me that the door isn't working. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm trying to remote unlock it, and this app is now sending me a verification code. Wow. This I'm putting in. Here's true here. true multitasker. He said it, guys, that he uh, yeah. does all these different things at once, and we're seeing proof. <laughs> I think this is going to work. It looks right. Like, yep, the lock is unlocked. Now I'm going to text this person and say that it's unlocked. 
they were also supposed to be here an hour ago. So that's part of what this issue is. There we go. All right, cool. All right. That won't be cut out at all. <laughs> you see, uh, how would I describe the yard? Is that what yeah, the yeah. question was? Yeah. I think in the, the, the best description that we have for the place is, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a performance venue. That's what it is. Sure. But it, the, the mission of the place, as long as it's been around, is that it's, it's a artistic space for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we try to stay as true to that as we can. There's classes and shows and shoots and rehearsals right. and all kinds of things happening all the time and a wide variety of people coming in. Right. And if I remember correctly, uh, founder John Ennis um, named it the yard. The yard is an acronym, right? It is an acronym, it, which I didn't even know that for the yeah. first year I was here. <laughs> it stands for Young Adult. God, can I even remember? Young Adult Repertory Dramatics is right. what that stands for. Because this started as John, I think even before he had this building, which he's been in this building since 2015. Yeah. It's been here for a while. Uh, and he, it was like classes, like mm -hmm. basically is what he's doing. That's why he acquired the space was to teach these classes for children and for adults and to teach and, him acting. Yeah. Doing acting and building a repertory that like, I don't know anything about theater, uh, mm -hmm. so I can't quote like the, but I know that there's like the certain school where it's like, uh, there is no education. There's only doing you're learning by doing. So you're just doing scenes. And then this repertory that gets built after knowing uh -huh. these plays then puts up the plays and acts in them and right that sort of thing and that was the the initial push and uh -huh. it is all still the same thing but there's like a little bit of variation because mm -hmm. now there's a non-profit that's the yard theater incorporated and that's right. not an acronym right so it, they're like they're all housed within each other or whatever but right and for something that is dedicated to teaching young folks acting i mean it's pretty much mostly comedy <laughs> um yeah. once night falls yeah for sure yeah and that happened just really within the past two years or so like post-covid right it, when it really opened its doors as a full-time venue right and it's it's predominantly comedy we'll have you know some drama and we'll have some music sometimes but it's mostly right. comedy shows right which makes it's such a weird like I guess it's six degrees of separation in a way because John to date, one of his most famous roles was being on Mr. Show. Yeah. Yeah. That's where and, I know him from. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what most people know him from. And, uh, like it makes sense that it, there's like comedy shows at night. And, uh, I mean, he knows a bunch of comedy people and I remember their, there used to be like a semi weekly, maybe semi monthly variety show that Chris Walsh co-hosted. But um, and before he took it over, you probably know this. It was the Fake Gallery, which used to be a happening comedy spot, and then uh, owner Paul Kozlowski, um didn't want to try to figure out how to sell tickets beyond giving his email, which had an earthlink.net email address. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's yeah. No, you're you're supposed to reserve tickets by emailing him at his earthlink.net email address and then pay at the door. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I know that like the our back door still says fake gallery. Yeah. 
and we've got a sandwich board, which the property management just cleared out everything from this back alley, but they left us the sandwich board that says food right. gallery. Did right. you know that Paul has now the Ake Gallery on the East Coast? <laughs> no, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow, what's uh that's so funny. I wonder is he putting on shows or is it an actual art okay. It I mean it looks to me like it's both. Okay. Well because Instagram. All right, I'll go look that up. That's so fascinating. Um, I mean, the reason he called it the fake gallery was at the time, there was some loophole in LA where you were actually allowed to serve wine at an art gallery without yeah. needing a permit. Yep. So he just got like a bunch of found art and hung it up. And that was enough to call it a gallery. And to add just a, a bit of irony to it, he called the fake gallery and then just put on shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty genius uh, move. Pretty genius move. And now it's called the Eight Gallery. That's so funny. Um, I what's interesting to me about the yard, the yard operates within the LA comedy scene ecosystem. Uh, I think very crucially, especially at this time of year. Uh the Ember Fringe is fast approaching in August. The Hollywood fringe is happening now. And those are uh you know, havens for people doing their solo shows and experimental comedy and to find like a space where you can do a lot of that and work a lot of that stuff out is kind of hard to find, but the yard kind of satisfies, satisfies a lot of those sort of prerequisites that people are looking for. And thus there's a lot of like really interesting, fascinating things that happen at the yard, which why it like, you call performance venue is accurate because it's not a comedy club. It's not even like a comedy theater per se, you know, like there's so many different things that happen like at UCB. It's mostly improv and then some other stuff. And then at the store uh, and the improv itself, uh, it's just stand up. Um, the Elysian seems to be like clown heaven and then other things, you know, a decent amount. Yeah, but um, how how has it been just, like, cycling through so many different types of shows, especially because you're running tech half the time? Yeah, I, I really prefer it because I know I would get burnout right. watching that many shows. I mean, I get, you know, a little burnout watching shows anyway. Sure. So the variety is really important. And I knew, because I'm from the Midwest, you know, and the only way a place in the Midwest can survive that is doing, like, weird art, comedy, mm -hmm. and entertainment is by doing everything. Right. And so it was very natural for me to, like, fall into a place that kind of had that ambition anyway because it breaks up the monotony. That's cool. It brings in different people to each show. And then right. you can hope to cross pollinate and grab right. people from different, you know, little circles and get them all coming right. and checking out different things. And yeah. so it was really just pretty natural fit for me. And everyone's mentality here was already in that direction. So it worked out really well. Absolutely. How long have you been at the yard? I've been here since I think it's like two years, like right two. now. Or it's cool. a, maybe a month shot. I moved to L.A. in July of 2021 mm -hmm. and i fell in at the yard within 30 days yeah yeah that that tracks that tracks yeah. 
Um, what have you seen in that time? Like, how's the theater grown? And um, what what are things that you have like? I mean, you know, not to steal an answer from you, but like you saw business casual like start from like this basically doing their show for their, their friends mm -hmm. to now that they're this like juggernaut that, you know, hops between L.A. and New York. Yeah, it was interesting for me because I was new here. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have like a good footing anyway or good concept of what was going on. I also arrived before things were reopened right from covid mm -hmm. and it was actually i mean you mentioned by name a second ago but it was actually uh chad damiani who kind of set me on path i didn't know him but we had a mutual friend who suggested i talk to him and chad met me and gave me like a whole like quick education about the alt comedy scene and what was going on and then what happened during covid and then kind of where things were sitting at the time because i was just looking for a place to put up a show really right and I got in and I didn't realize until later, like now, even just like a year later that we reopened our doors a lot sooner than a lot of places. Oh yeah. And so the way things were for that first six months or even that first year ended up being drastically different once everything was going again. And I didn't, right. I didn't realize how much different it could be in that year time. Cause there's, I mean, you probably still go to shows now and you hear performers saying it's the first time they've gotten back on stage since COVID. Oh, yeah. Still. That's three years. I mean, that's, that's like, three that's years. Crazy. So in that time, I watched a lot of people who, especially in the clown scene, mm -hmm. like a lot of people who had never really even performed before. They'd take right. classes. Right. And some of them started during COVID, so it was like Zoom classes. Right. And that sort of thing. And then to watch them over, you know, the course of two years be regular performers or producing their own shows. Right. That's been a really cool thing. Watching people develop the show. Because, you know, again, Edinburgh last year was it had been closed. So like mm -hmm. watching people create new shows to go there and then seeing you know, in some cases where somebody is starting from scratch, mm -hmm. they do their show and then I never, they built it at the art and then I have not seen them since because by the time they got back, they right. got a job and moved across the country. <laughs> I never even saw the, the finished version of the show, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Fast. And again, being from the Midwest, it, it's a kind of a, a different vibe to to have the industry right here and watch like the same people that you recognize as being a good performer get recognized by other people as right. being a good performer and like their careers jump. Yeah. All those things have been very cool. And then, I mean, just for the place itself, we went when, when I came in, we were doing Wednesday nights, two shows <laughs> and sporadically throughout the month. Uh, Frank, was Fairfield was still running his down at the yard concert series. Right. And that was all that was happening. And then the repertory started putting on a play on Saturdays and that was still all that was happening. Whereas now it's six nights a week, two right. shows a night and then class on Tuesday nights. Right. Absolutely. Do you wait, do you have to do anything for class on Tuesdays or that? I don't have to No, That's yeah. Ennis's thing. Oh, uh, okay, cool. I so rarely see him. I guess he just shows up on Tuesday. For the most part, they used yeah. to do Tuesdays and Thursdays, but his schedule got kind of busy with other stuff. And so, 
right Tuesdays and then when they're ready to pop off another play they'll start doing like Saturday matinees right so I'm curious like having cycled through so many different shows and so many weird art things what is some some of the more weird or even difficult things you've had to deal with tech wise because I know you have Our system was so evolving as far as booking and handling things because, you know, nobody until I jumped on board, nobody involved really had much experience like operating a venue. Right. It was a bunch of artists, you know, just Mm -hmm. trying to figure stuff out. And so I was new and I understood how to do a lot of the stuff, but we didn't have the equipment. And I was trying to learn the systems that they were using for booking and all that sort of thing. Right. So we definitely ended up with some situations where like questions weren't asked ahead of time. And then by the, when the thing showed up, mm-hmm. we had a podcast. I remember where he said it was going to be a live podcast and then he was going to have uh, some musicians play. That was how mm-hmm. it was described. Right. And when he got there, the band was uh, one of the guys from real big fish and it was <laughs> an eight piece band. Damn. With a sound guy. Right. Oh, their own sound guy. Yeah, their own sound guy. But like, we we're not a, especially then we were not equipped for that whatsoever. Like, right. I mean, we don't have monitors. You know what I mean? We don't do like. I don't think you even have that many microphones. We've got seven now. <laughs> house, uh, but it was crazy, and, and we made it happen. We put them on the balcony, mm-hmm. but it was like the band would have taken up the whole entire stage. Right. And so I was like, well, then where's the live podcast happening? Like, yeah, yeah. And like, you guys are going to have to share, like, we don't have enough mics for all that and the podcast. And like, uh-huh. that was kind of a, a crazy thing of just like realizing, like, yeah, if the producer doesn't know those things ahead of time, then we have to be prepared to ask a lot of questions so that they can go ask some questions. Right, right, right. You run into some of those things. For the most part, it's been pretty easy because. Uh-huh we're a small place. Right. And so people don't come in with a lot of expectation about right. what is going to be possible. Mm-hmm. People always want wireless mics or headsets. And I'm like, you don't even need a mic, dude. Like you could really, you could do the show without it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Cause it's, uh, 45, 50 seats. 51 is the like standard seating and we mm-hmm. can put more folding chairs in to get to 65. We can do some, some modifying of things and get up a little higher right right but yeah it's 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 not big but that i mean you know that doesn't i think that that's the beauty of it that i was sort of talking about because it's not that big of a space um you know that you can really experiment and do a lot of weird things and that that is what people utilize it for yeah and everything moves like all the seats the stage itself like everything's on wheels and can right around and right can really be different from show to show yeah absolutely uh what is your favorite things that you've seen so far in your tenure my favorite things that i've seen like i don't have any problem saying hands down my the show that I've enjoyed watching the most and has made me laugh the most is Chad stand up and clown masterwork. Yeah, for sure. The show, I think it has the best elements of like comedy entertainment where it's collaborative, it's improvised, but it's also like really skilled performers and, and just really makes me laugh hard. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to think like some it's always cool to see someone like Bill Burr in a space that can jam in only like 85 people, you know? Right. Yeah. Th those kids at bug house, they really do wonders with their booking. Oh yeah. It it's, it's pretty incredible. They, I don't know where all the connections come from necessarily. Mm -hmm. ben right. Seems to know a ton of people. And then Gus knows a lot of people because he's a, uh, he's like, regional comedy royalty because his dad tony v in boston is like oh yeah a dude, yeah you know? he's like, he's like a god in boston yeah and everybody yeah. knows him so burr and all these guys like you know tony was the from what i understand is the guy who you know was helping them all out when they started so then mm -hmm. tony's opening for burr at the stadium oh, right there, you know right 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 oh that's cool man yeah yeah i mean honestly that's like you know, while it is cool that you can watch Burr at like the Prudential Center, mm -hmm. it's always better if you can see him in a small space. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Just because it's the energy is. I mean, I understand like big, big places there is it's energy into itself, but like mm -hmm. when you're talking about an art form that is literally a guy talking, right? It is a more intimate style of thing, you know? Right, like, right, right. Like, I can remember watching, uh, it's one of Dice's specials, like the Iceman mm -hmm. Cometh or one of those things. Sure. He's like Madison Square Garden or whatever it is. And it's just like everything he says, the audience just cheers. Yeah. And then he like postures as uh -huh. it rolls through the place and right. it says something else and they cheer. And I'm like, well, that's not really now the same thing. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. But uh, I remember watching. Funny or die used to do this thing called um, the Oddball uh, the Oddity and Comedy Fest, I think. And uh, it was kind of like a Lollapalooza for a comedy. Gotcha. And they uh, they did it down in Irvine, which at the time was called the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater. It's called something else now. Um, but I remember Marin got on stage, and it's like 15,000 people. And he was like... You know what's great about performing in front of fifteen thousand people is uh, if a joke doesn't land, I can see that these five thousand people don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something. You think if you even if you're like working twenty percent of the crowd, you know that's that that's not going to feel great. No, no, no. And having like been in audiences that big every now and again it's a strange experience in that like even the sound of like killing like the that you're in a space that's so big so therefore it's very reverberant it just sounds like tepid waves hitting the beach yeah. you know but everyone's laughing and clapping but it's so dispersed yeah i i can't imagine as a performer how much different it is because it, you have to approach it I'm sure in such a different way. It seems like it's, you know, performing is already in stand up, mm -hmm. like often kind of like just conducting an audience. Right, right, right. But at that point, it kind of has to just be that. It has to right. just be like, let me keep creating the waves to send through this crowd. Right. Because you can't really start like engaging with the guy in the front row. Right, right, right. I think I've I mentioned this before on the pod, but Gene uh, Gaffigan once like technically open for the pope okay 
like the Pope made this big deal of like visiting uh, the U.S. specifically, like I think Philadelphia, and they had a bunch of acts just go before the Pope. Oh, uh, yeah, weird. yeah, and it was outside in this park, and there must have been close to a hundred thousand people, maybe more, I think. Mm-hmm. And the way Jim talks about it was basically like it's like so many people that even silence is like loud yeah yeah so he just kind of like did his set and like he couldn't really even register laughs you know yeah yeah I, yeah i'm sure because you're not the energy is coming to you but it's not in that same way where because it's got to like just be a wall of sound crashing on you mm-hmm. whereas you know in a club it's that really loud laugher over there you you feel them every time they join the into it or whatever like right yeah yeah it has to be very very different and so that's why it is cool to go into a little place and see somebody that you normally would not get that chance and i know like out here you know these people are always hopping on small shows mm-hmm. and, and doing their thing but i don't go anywhere else so if they're gonna right. come here then that's where i get to catch them right now, were you doing like weird arty comedy in the Midwest? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that like, Isaac? It was tough. It was, I bet uh, it was uh, a long, hard process until I got in at a place. Very similar story to how I got in at the yard. I'm from Indiana, but I mm-hmm. had lived around like not in the major, not. I mean, there isn't really a real major city, you know, but I didn't live in like the more metropolitan areas. And then I had moved to New York for a couple of years. And when I came back, I moved to Indianapolis Mm. where there's a little bit more going on. You know, Mm -hmm. you got your your little uh, liberal city in the conservative state. Right. And there was a spot called the White Rabbit Cabaret that had just opened. Mm -hmm. And again, 30 days in, fell in at that place. And then over the next decade was you know i'd work the door i'd cover managing shifts and then we were producing a bunch of house shows where we did a lot of interactive like game show kind of stuff mm-hmm. where like we did a live dating show we, mm-hmm. we did like a gong show style variety show they right. were doing a lot of burlesque right and so i i didn't have any experience with burlesque up until that point and then it became like a pretty major part of what i was doing so right. we had this nice little oasis mm-hmm. where we we got to do all that stuff and it, it so it's the place in indianapolis where you'll see some of the people that are on the top you know 20 burlesque performers in the world or mm-hmm. whatever will come through or you know it's the spot where eddie pepitone and brian posain and all these mm-hmm. guys hit while they're on the road for right. one-nighters right right really, right really cool place it's I so I still work with them and so when I'm helping somebody book a tour like Blake Rozier just went there and right. did a night and it's been it's still been a good relationship but for a decade that's what that was my home I was doing right. seven to thirteen shows a month. Damn, um, yeah. <clears throat> you're also you performed too. Like, did you do your like cult leader character there and? I was doing I had a handful of characters that had regular shows mm-hmm. like the the variety show we did and then a burlesque show that I did were both hosted by this comedy duo Lloyd and Harvey that uh, me and mm-hmm. the, one of the the owners Andy played where we we're like a geriatric comedy duo 
Mm-hmm. And so I did Harvey over the course of that time a lot. And then I had this character, Mort Sheboygan, that hosted a dating <laughs> show for <laughs> about six years or so. Sure. And then we were doing an evening with the authors, the show that I also do out here. And I had a few reoccurring characters on that. So, like, some of those guys would pop up because every month, you know, bring in something new. And right. I, some of the, like, the one character, Jasper, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen that character that I do, Jasper T. Colbert, mm-hmm. this redneck, but I've been doing that character since 2001. Oh, cool. Um, how is it, like, you moved to, to L.A. to put up a show, mm-hmm. and uh, now you're running a lot of other people's shows yeah but you still perform how do you balance all of that do you find that you have to like compartmentalize or it's really easy to shift gears or it's really hard it can be pretty difficult to shift gears because a lot of times even when i'm performing it's still at the yard right and so it doesn't really matter that i'm performing that night if even if other people are working the shifts because I'm still mm-hmm. in mode of having to answer questions and like do stuff. So it's really hard to get that like separation for the, the headspace. Right. And performing isn't as hard uh, as creating. It's just hard yeah. to, right. Because there's, I mean, this is more than full time work running mm-hmm. a venue, you know? Right. And, right. And I'm the type where I don't, I don't rest. So I'm right. doing emails and stuff from the, when I wake up, I'm still doing it before I go to sleep. And so right. just trying to find that headspace to like get a creative idea and then uh-huh. have a time to like follow that through. And like, right. do. so I haven't put up as many of my own shows. I've kind of, when I am performing, I'm looking more to just kind of do spots on other people's things. So I don't have to take right. on that side of things. I, I, you know, co-produce a couple of things that happen here where someone's right. the lead, but and I just kind of work as a liaison to get it right. going. Right. Um, what do you see yourself heading towards? Do you do you want to keep juggling or do you want to like eventually get to a point where you can focus on creating again? I think I think creating is one of those things like it wouldn't work if I was like, okay, I'm just going to cut back all my hours and now I'm going to create, you know, because it's like right. you can't make it happen. So if I can get to a place where there's more of a balance and I can, you know, have that headspace and things are coming to me, right. then I will let that happen organically. Mm-hmm. But I came out here essentially because I've been doing this for a really long time, but mm-hmm. I in the Midwest there just wasn't enough going on that I I was going to always have to have at least a part time mm-hmm. day job, right? And because I've got a family, so I can't I can't survive on as little as what a lot of you know comedians can, right? And so ideally, it was like I I want to come out, I want to be able to combine all those hours a week that I work into Mm -hmm. just being within comedy and make my living have a little more time with my family and Mm -hmm. whatever form that comes in i'm all right with it right because i've been producing as long as i've been performing maybe probably actually beforehand because i when i started i was managing my friends bands that was the first thing i was ever doing putting on shows oh wow so i i see 
I mean, being a uh, being a performer is difficult. Like making a living as a performer is really difficult. And right. I've acquired these other skills out of necessity over the years mm-hmm. that are useful. So I imagine that the future is probably mm-hmm. more in producing and running a venue. And I've been doing uh, a little bit of managing and consulting with people and that sort mm-hmm. of thing as well. And I think that's more more likely the place to be able to pay my rent (laughs) doing that stuff and if people you know ask me to be on their show then i'm thrilled to be on somebody's show and do stuff because i i do think that i i I enjoy it and i think i have things to offer in that area but right pursuing it is a uh is tough i mean it's it can be exhausting i mean i'm sure you relate to this as well absolutely you you are a performer but you also serve another role for the ecosystem yeah yeah and so it's hard to be like well, you know, for I'm in your case, it's like I, I want to go out to these shows because I want to be aware of what's going on. I want to be able right. to review things and make connections. And you're like, I'd like to perform, but I can't be two places at once and I can't always be at a show. Right. Right. And people like to think that I'm everywhere at once and I really don't dispel them of that notion. But yeah, I truthfully cannot. And um, like you're saying, I. It's so because of how I've decided to divvy up my time, like I don't get the same amount of time that I think you do need as like a comedian to really kind of explore and create whatever you're going to do. I just kind of like write things down that as they come to me throughout the day, I'm like, all right, I'm sure at whatever mic I'm going to at some point, I'll talk it out, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think my rule is that I need to perform just enough mm-hmm. so that the other performers recognize that I've also done this so right. that when I'm talking to them about their show or their performance, it's not insulting. Right, right. <laughs> I feel that for sure very deeply. My 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 version of that is just a little little tweaked where I wanna be on shows and it's not crazy that there are people who have Netflix specials that I'm performing next to, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, because I even get, like, you know, operating a venue, there'll mm. be shows where I'm like, I would love to do this show. Right. I would love to I would be good on this show. I would love to be on this show. And then I have that balance of, like, I, you have to get to know the producer pretty well before mm. you're like, hey, man, can I just do this? Can I also? Because it's like nobody wants to tell the guy from the venue no. Right. But yeah. Also, don't necessarily want them on their show. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there has to be comedy chateau. <laughs> <laughs> I have no qualms. I have no qualms. So I haven't heard a peep in a while about this. I, I don't know what's going on, but um, it it been sort of the word uh, on the street <laughs> that uh, at the Comedy Chateau, the the owner reserves the right to do a spot on anybody's show, even though um, an old white guy guitar comic may not fit on the lineup. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually Same. going there. I'm going there uh, 
July 12th, a friend of mine from Indianapolis is going to be doing some special taping there, coincidentally. And it's and, in my neighborhood. So, right, right. There we go. I need excuses like that to go see a new place, you know? Right, right. But that wouldn't surprise me if that was true, just given what the, the, the general vibe that I understand of the place. And that's a pretty common thing. I mean, most of us get into those positions because we were performers. Right. Just some some have more humility than others, and some are like, hey, you know, let those people do their thing. Right. Yeah, I get it, but I feel like that's a short term. It, that's just being short sighted, you know. It is. I mean, it's gross. I would never do yeah. that. Yeah. No. As I'm, you know, talking about asking to be on people's shows at my venue. As we were saying this, I got a text where Blake Rozier just sent me the flyer for his next show at the yard and asked me if I wanted to do a spot on it. <laughs> but, but he asked me. Okay. Yeah. That's a... yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, if it to. As no slight to you, if it's another one of the Blake's like marathon weeks where he lives in the theater, he literally asks everybody he knows to do a spot. <laughs> that, that's the easiest way into uh, stage time for sure. Yeah, it's like I need to fill four hours. Um, can, do you want to do thirty minutes? <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I think literally the first time that he asked me to do something was uh when he was doing the living at the space, but when he was at the complex right? and I didn't know anything about what he was doing. So I was right. just flattered that he asked me to do the show and then right. I saw the flyer and I was like, Oh, well, okay. I still, yeah. I'm still happy to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he still asked you, he still asked you. Um, yeah, man, Blake, Blake is, I think he, the Blake, the yard has been a place for him to really, um blossom and really try it like he was kind of just doing his marathon performances at the complex mm -hmm. and i think through you kind of essentially giving him um shall i say like a big sandbox to play in yeah. he's re really swung for the fences yeah i'm such a huge fan of blake mm -hmm. and and i like him tremendously mm -hmm. as well so that right. helps but like from the time I, I saw him, like he he's just he came highly recommended to me when I was booking my own show. Right. And he came and just knocked it out of the park, even though he like nothing he does is within the format of an evening with the authors. <laughs> like, no. No. But, but it's just it's funny. Right. And because he uh, came in red mail once, right? Yeah, and like some there's like was a piece of wood in the alley for a while where he had like just scribbled some notes onto a piece of wood to have the semblance that he like had done something. Uh, <laughs> But I'm just a big, big fan, and right. it, it was a. I'm always happy because there's other people I'm a big fan of that you know I I would love to provide some of the same opportunity for, but it just doesn't work quite the same. And right, so it's been a really good partnership with Blake. Right, right, yeah. I remember you telling me one of the, one of the things he's kind of been lauded for is doing his like experimental Craigslist show where he like yeah. finds somebody who's not really a performer on Craigslist and then creates a show in the afternoon and then puts it up in front of the audience and you told me like you somebody just dropped out like week of and you just told blake or do you want to do something yeah yeah that's a lot of his bookings have been that way yeah where he like sometimes we'll have something on the books for a while you know mm -hmm. and then other times somebody will drop out and it's like not enough time for me to like really penalize them for doing it right 
but it's also not really enough time to get another booking in. No one's right. looking for that, you know? Right. And so I'm like, well, this is going to be a dead night or a dead slot if we don't have something. And so when the bar's lowered like right. that, and then it's like, Blake, do you want to do something weird? Yeah. Because then he'll do something more more experimental that yeah. may or may not generate. And then sometimes it ends up being like the tomato show and <laughs> like sold out for four times. And then, you know, you come back around with another like I, I don't even know what this next thing he's doing is going to be mm -hmm. he, i don't even it's called it's a variety show that's all i know he sent me a flyer i don't even care because i try <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure um yeah that kid somebody mike bridenstine who's actually kind of you at the lyric uh gm and other uh associated duties he said that a lot of comedy feels like arena rock right now. So where is 1977? I, I like, where is punk rock coming in? And, you know, if you've been to the tomato show, I feel like, okay, that's, I wouldn't put it squarely on the shoulders of clowns. Like, Oh, that's what is punk and comedy. Sure. But uh, Blake is definitely a big element of it. Yeah, I, I think so. And it, it's funny. Cause that like that, that comparison there's so many times over the years where in hindsight like some group wants to refer to themselves as being like punk rock comedy right and i it's like comedy can't be punk rock because there there has to be too much pleasing of the audience sure. in general for it to exist you know and right. as someone who like the punk scene is where i come from right it's like i wouldn't want that kind of relationship with the audience as the performer but what i can mm -hmm. relate to is the appeal of there's just a little bit of danger you know sure. like a, a little bit of danger to what's happening and as a venue operator i don't want any danger <laughs> yeah absolutely you know, I don't want any at all right but i want that little bit of feeling of chaos and so working with somebody with blake is good because when Blake says, I want to do this show where the audience throws tomatoes at us, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you know, we'll have to figure out a way to, and a lot of people, this would be the end of the conversation. I'm like, we're going to have to figure out a way to cover the curtains and everything. He's like, no, 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 I, I, I've got this plastic I'm going to bring. And he's thought that through. Right. Most people in this situation would not have, and that's why I trust him, is he's like, no, I figured out all that stuff. So you get to have that chaos Right. The person in charge is putting in more fail safes than what the audience is even really aware of. Right, right. Can, and they are capable of controlling it. When I was mentioning the game shows we would do, this dating right. show we used to do, we'd bring audience members up on the stage and have them compete in games was pretty much the format. Mm -hmm. And you have to be skilled to mm -hmm. bring up people that have been drinking randomly who volunteer themselves right. on stage and have half a dozen people and know that you're going to be able to not only like ride the bowl, but you can also subdue it if you need right. to. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, with that in mind, I, I'm excited to see whatever the hell that variety show is. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Blake, after he comes off a tour, will want to do something sort of fresh and new and fresh and new from him is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot of ideas. Like, because mm -hmm. I don't want to say what I think this might be, because he was pitching me an idea, but it kind of sounds like this might not end up being that. Because he's right. he's got a couple that he's been knocking around that he hasn't figured out how to execute yet. Right, right. 
Um, there's a lot of solo shows that come through the yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like I feel like solo show or one man show, one woman show? They used to be like dir- dirty words. I feel like that's not the case anymore. I I think I, that is loud. I don't know what just happened out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I feel like, and I don't know. Maybe it's the same for you. Maybe the only reason it was a dirty word was because I was so engrossed in stand up. Sure. Um, which then so many stand-ups ended up becoming very successful with one-man shows that I don't think that it's probably got the same connotation anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the entire solo thing, like, I'm not from a theater background whatsoever. Right. I'm coming into a place like this that does so much theater. And it's been interesting to me, like, watching these these shows develop and the way different people develop the different shows. I think we're a good place for a solo show because we're small. Yeah. And the stage is small. So it like, you know, solo performer makes a lot of sense. Um, I just wish more people were doing it because they had an idea for a show and less because they feel like they need to create a show. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, But that's with anything, right? I mean, that's just, Every year, I look, I peruse to the Hollywood Fringe sort of programming, and I am never not astounded over like some people's description of their solo show. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, this is like what I would make up as a stand-up to make fun of this, yeah. right? And you're doing it for real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many of like, you know, I would have thought of a one-man show is always going to be somebody's like walk through their life and whatever they think it makes is like a defining characteristic of themselves that sets them apart where then they're like shifting from side to side playing different characters talking to themselves you know as the the spotlight shifts from sides of the stage mock smoking a cigarette at one point maybe right 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 absolutely where the clown thing is like refreshing in that because you know, people can dress it up any way they want to go, but it's like it, you're just you're doing just a solo, most of the time improv performance, mm-hmm. or if there is structure to it, you're just doing a solo comedy performance. Like that's cool, yeah. Right. I, I, it's funny. There doesn't need to be a message all the right. time. Sometimes no. it's just humor. Sometimes it's just there. It's a forty-five minutes of this person being funny. Yeah, and that is also valid. I think that's like. I try to say this uh, often that I think there's a misnomer in comedy, this misguided notion that honesty is the brings out the best comedy. And I would say that being genuine brings out the best comedy. And for some people, that's not drawing their blood, sweat and tears from the life they've lived and just like honing it into like a comedic set. But some people are just genuinely that silly and them being absurd on stage is a genuine expression of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of one person shows in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And there are some that I really, really enjoyed. Like, yeah. Really, really enjoyed. Like two I can say right off the top is I really like Kylie Brakeman's Linda Hollywood. Oh, yeah. I really like that show. And I really lark. Like I really like Mark Vigiant's Mark. Oh Vigiant's yeah. Show. 
Yeah. He, he's so talented and he does some of those things I just said in that right. show. Right. But it's like a whirlwind and it it actually tells like a sweet story, but mm-hmm. he doesn't ever pause to make sure you soak in how sweet and genuine this moment is. He just keeps going and being funny. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That guy. Oof. I hope uh if people haven't seen Mark Vigian, go check him out. I mean, if you're in New York, you're probably seeing Kylie Brickman a decent amount because she so. works on the Tonight Show. Um, but yeah, Mark is. I don't think I necessarily. I mean, I, to be fair, I'm taking this out of context. I don't know that I'd necessarily enjoy it a bit with the guy like in a speedo blowing a trumpet, but you know, <laughs> Mark makes it work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's under he's a performer who understands himself pretty well and yeah. understands like what he's initially perceived as by people. Sure. And plays into it really well. Right. And I think that is crucial even beyond I feel like there's a surface level understanding of that where the stand up sort of like, oh, I know what I look, but really understanding like intrinsically and persona wise, like how you come across and at like and playing with the expectations of that with people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, if you want to do some comedy news, let's do it. All right, let us do it. Okay, so as the, you know, I mean, the streaming wars haven't, I don't know if anyone officially started, but they're, you know, happening. And then the writer strike um, is nearing the entering of its third month, I believe. Um, Paramount Plus decided to drop inside Amy Schumer uh, as a part of their, uh, I think what they would describe as streamlining uh, their their offerings uh, for programming uh, because they're taking in Showtime and Comedy Central and a bunch of other things. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I probably one of the funnier things that they would have had on their streaming platform, but, but they're seeming to get rid of it. And if there's like criticism in terms of, well, you know, maybe it was too, um, childish or juvenile south park lives on paramount plus so that's not really a case for that um yeah i i don't know i feel like it's hard to say from standing so far below the ivory towers here but it seems like a a lot of these uh cancellations or dropping of things off of platforms it's not just like covering the red and tax and their taxes anymore but it feels vindictive and maybe I, I'm sure that there are a bunch of people really studying the numbers. Yeah. And if they feel like that show is not performing as well as others, but it still has the potential to sell to a different streaming service. Mm-hmm. And if that's more lucrative, then that's the move. Because I just realized that uh, what was HBO had done that docu series? Was it called The Wild Ones? The one that was about like uh, Avini and Dr. Dre and about the. the oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's on Peacock now. Right. And right. I, so 
there is definitely some weird stuff going on there where like ever I'll only know that something's gone because I'll see somebody bitching about it and right. I'll see it pop up somewhere else and it's like somewhere along the line they decided we've gotten everything we can get out of this. Right. If we get if we send it over there, Peacock, people may have never even heard of it before and now see it on Peacock. Right. And watch it. And so then it's better for everybody, I guess. But it also illuminates how confusing television is about like HBO produces so much stuff that's on Comedy Central. Right. So then they can put that on Max, but then the other stuff is owned by Paramount. Right. And like it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just today the trailer for the new, new, new Futurama just came out, and wow. that will be on Hulu of all places, which is kind of funny because it got revived after a huge break in Comedy Central, and then that lasted a few years, and after a decade of being off the air, um, now it finds its way back to a Fox property uh, in Hulu. Or I should say, at Disney, <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't keep my conglomerate straight. I know. And you would, yeah. It's also weird when it's a package deal like that is, but then two separate. In- now, I can't even begin to understand how and why that has to be that way. Right. But you would have thought that they would have done like Disney would be like kids stuff, and Hulu would be adult stuff. Would be the easiest way. Right to dice it up, but then my dad was asking for a password to watch Deadpool two on Disney Plus. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, there's plenty of like, I think Venom is on Disney Plus now. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and uh, you know, even though it's not MA fourteen or R, Andor is not for kids. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but yeah, well, I mean. A lot of that Star Wars stuff isn't really, really for kids. The series stuff, no. The movies are, but uh, yeah, no, a lot of the series stuff is not. Yeah, I mean, and some of it for reasons not because of content. Like, I, my kids have no interest in the original Star Wars trilogy because it moves so slow in comparison oh, yeah, the fir- to the first, entertainment. Yeah, the first one, it's almost funny. If you go from Rogue One, which in in the chronology and i hate that i know this it goes into a new hope yeah. um there's like the end of rogue one sorry for people who haven't watched it has like a really badass like lightsaber scene mm-hmm. with darth vader and then when you go to alec guinness and yeah the darth vader it just like is this like star wars kid yeah, it is like as well because the prequels also have like some really cool lightsaber stuff. They have yeah. CGI Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> hopping like really bouncing around off the walls, Yoda. Yeah, who he really for being eight hundred years old, he really aged a lot in those last twenty years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh boy, um, so there's a really stupid fan theory that explains away what I just said. I'm sure that there's like three or four, especially because Disney, well, before Disney bought Star Wars from George Lucas, there were all these uh, apocryphal books that were written. Yeah. And then Disney, uh, in their purchase, had declared those not canon. Yeah. So now there's two divergent, like, storylines. Yeah, which I'm sure I don't know, you know, who the main authors responsible for those stories are, but I'm sure they don't give a fuck. They got paid. <laughs> right. Right. 
Um, but it is, I, I, you know, inside Amy Schumer, I mean, it either episodes will find themselves on YouTube if it doesn't land anywhere else. Yeah. And then that, I guess, will force somebody's hand to buy it. Yeah, something because well, didn't they? Oh, and I'm just really they had made new episodes of that, hadn't they? Yeah, just okay, recently. See, I was only thinking about the the old episodes. Yeah, that that's right. They just did like a season or at least one. Yeah. Yeah, last year. Huh. I mean, that might be. Who who knows? I mean, that might be like you said. It might be spiteful. There might have been a negotiation where it was like, okay, not only are we not going to renew it, what you're asking for, we're also going to just drop it all. Right. We'll take it off and you won't be getting royalties. Right. Well, with the amount of like money that's reported that CEOs get paid as it's coming out through the like strike, um, you know, like they uh, in theory, a lot of these cuts are like, oh, well, we get to claim this as a loss and therefore we can get in the black. And it's like, well, I don't know if all those numbers add up anymore. Yeah. And there's they're so shrouded. It's like crazy, right? How shrouded it is, and there's got to be a reckoning though, because we're you know it's not just it's streaming all across the genres because I mean that it's a big thing with the music streaming as well. Just I was only introduced to some of those ideas recently about how comedy was paid differently than music on the streaming services and right. all that stuff and repercussions of people voicing uh issue with that right right and yeah there was there were it has been a weird legal battle that you know and not i i have friends that own like they run comedy record labels where they sort of saw some writing on the wall and they're like yeah i don't think this is a good idea so they didn't even join in for what ended up being a huge problem yeah yeah, it's going to be interesting how that shakes out because mm-hmm. um, I know that the fear from the labels is that if the streaming services are forced to start paying the mm-hmm. comedians as writers, that it's going to then shift around the distribution of royalties right. and that then the labels are going to lose money out of it. Right. Which, I mean, in general, it's easy to be like, yeah, fuck them like that's the that's the man but it's like well some of those labels are a guy right yeah and actually when it got a lot of money into a bunch of albums that didn't make any money and yeah i'm gonna tell you that most comedy record labels uh tell you listeners um are run by anywhere from one to four guys or people yeah yeah and that's it that that's it often you will find the person who runs the label effectively the ceo also doing sound engineering at the recording yeah absolutely yeah because it's not you can do that with comedy because it's like you're recording live shows that only have like five microphones you know Mm -hmm. or whatever and you can you can be a one-man operation and do pretty pretty decent right and tech has gotten so good like even with a like previous gen zoom recorder it sounds great if you place it properly that's what i actually i prefer because i do some recording and uh editing and producing work for a label and i rather than using like a laptop and a program with everything routed i Mm -hmm. like using individual 
recorders with mics because then if something goes wrong it's only one of them right it's easier to mix out nice um so yeah that's uh the i if i knew what the future held i would be a much richer man but i don't um we'll just have has to wait and see how we're going to get the next iteration of cable tv which is yeah. what seems to be coming and um yeah is there i, I guess <laughs> is pluto tv the content graveyard yeah i'm not familiar with it i just started using tubi mhm i like tubi a lot too yeah, there's all these sort of margins where I, I guess very intelligent people have done market analysis and found like, okay, if we if we make it ad supported like this, and then we format our uh, app or uh, sort of access or uh, programming like this, that's not anything else that anybody has. Yeah, and I've been really digging into Tubi a lot just because they are doing which unfortunately hopefully this all stays true and i i met somebody recently who works over there who i think it is going to stay true is they're doing what a lot of new networks do and they're focusing like programming towards a black audience mm-hmm. and unfortunately often networks do that and mm-hmm. then once they generate enough of an audience they drift away from it sure. but as of now tubi is a place that you can find a lot of like black produced movies that didn't like open across Mm -hmm. the nation and then also just a ton of entertainment from the 90s like Mm -hmm. i think i've watched boys in the hood friday blank man cb4 like all of this stuff just in the past like couple of weeks is is living single where on tv i don't know i don't know if it is or not yeah, I mean, that's like... It would be, but it might... one of the I don't know what network that was originally on, so it might have gotten snatched up by... Right, right, right. One of the Fair. other places, mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it it's still, I guess, early days, the stream wars, even though it's been going on for years at this point. Um, all right, next news story. This is sort of interesting. John Cleese, who has now sort of fashioned himself into sort of like um, a uh, enfant ter- ter- terrible. Ter- ter- <laughs> I can't speak French. <laughs> ter- terrible, uh, I think is probably how you would say it. Um, yeah, he's a guy who complains about cancel culture almost as much as Dave Chappelle does. Um. He is, there's going to be an onstage adaptation of the Monty Python movie Life of Brian, mm-hmm. and he is nixing the song Bright Side of Life, which was a uh, very um, my like a big song in the movie. It's, a, it's an iconic, yeah, thing. yeah, and he's cutting it out because he thinks that no one will be surprised anymore, it, there's no shock value left as people who are on crucifixes uh uh being sort of you know strung up until they die saying uh, look on the bright side of life um that isn't radical anymore which i wouldn't disagree but uh yeah he's just cutting it out entirely it it is one of the best elements of that film oh yeah 
And when I read this, all I can assume is that Eric Idle ownership of it somebody mm-hmm. else gets paid if they put it in the play right that's all that can be right yeah There's it seems no real way... weird yeah yeah people re-watch your movie dipshit they don't <laughs> know how it ends They're right watching an, a stage adaptation of something that they've been watching for their entire life right you're not surprising anybody with anything if you right. want to surprise somebody, write something new, John Cleese. Yeah. That'd be really surprising. Yeah, write something new. Stop fucking around with NFTs. Yeah, that's that was just unfortunate to see. Right. Um, you know, I there you know, it's not all comedians or comedy folks of that age group, that generation, that class that uh are sort of seething at um not being able to do the same thing anymore but i mean it's it's interesting to me for something that was as radical as monty python like you you would think that they would have to know that it's never going to just stay like that like things change like they they were part of the change yes yeah and they were the things they were doing. I don't know, like, I mean, dressing in drag and, and stuff was shocking, right? So it's weird. I don't know. I'm sure I, I can't remember too specifically, but I'm sure there's a ton of jokes in those Monty Python movies and the TV show that, like, would now not be cool, right? Um, but it's not like I don't know, it's like you weren't. Andrew Dice Clay. Second no. time I've referenced him in this podcast. <laughs> sure. Uh, but it's like it's not like that's what you were doing pushing the envelope. You weren't being a shock jock. No. I think I mean, arguably Yeah, there was I think one sketch on Flying Circus where I want to say there was like an abortion rally and then there were counter protesters or whatever and like there's a bunch of mayhem and then all of a sudden God Save the Queen starts playing and then everybody starts singing along. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I and, mean, that's racy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they, I mean, the Ministry of Silly Walks isn't like doing anything no. to bring about social justice, is it? I, am I missing something? No, I'm sure. Like, I don't, again, I can't specifically remember, but I'm sure there's like some gay jokes. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, goddamn, go back and watch like Mel Brooks, you know, like, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of going to be some stuff that's like, I'm sure even Mel would Mel would like argue that it's all fine for this reason or whatever. And it's like, but that's that I understand because that's what where you were. Right. But like if you were born in right. the past 30 years, you would feel this way. And so it's fine for an audience not to connect with you and not yeah. enjoy those things. But it's also easy to be like, yeah, you know, that was humor then. You know, yeah. sorry, I didn't I didn't realize that it was all going to change within my lifetime and that I would have to answer for it. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I think there's a, probably a, a good I would say most of Holy Grail hold, holds up. Yeah. 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 It, it was a I, I always watched Life of Brian more. Yeah. When I was a kid. So it seems like 
Holy Grail wasn't didn't have as much teeth anyway because it wasn't like tackling religion and stuff. Right. So right. Not quite the same danger. No, 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 no. Meaning of Life tackled religion too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see what what you know what Cleese is gonna come up with to be shocking if that's what he chooses to be. Um but and I, the point when when shock is used in comedy, it shouldn't be just for shock's sake. It's like right. It that's just an element of it, and hopefully there is more to the satirical things that you're bringing to stage that you want to say something substantive. Yes, exactly. It's because that we see what happens when it goes the other way. Like that's not mm-hmm. good entertainment. It if you can push the envelope and be provocative and you can do those things, that's fine. But you're not pushing the envelope when you're doing the, like these guys that are getting funded now by like the Fox news corporation to do comedy. Right. It's like, well, you're not, if half the nation agrees with you, then it's not really that edgy. Right. A a subculture. Not only that. So the only late night TV show that's on right now is Greg, or Gutfeld, Gutfeld, because there's an exclamation mark, and uh, he the the way they get to be on is they use non-union writers, and uh, surprise, surprise, and like that the way they design his like monologue part is like supposed to be upset. Like not only is it upsetting for anybody that remotely disagrees with him, um, but what's crazy to me is it's not funny and. It bombs on his own show. Like you're not oh, yeah. hearing like laughter from live audience or crew. It often falls to silence. And that's so, so I know conservative people that are funny and the bar is so low. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so low. I mean, every like, not every, of course, but like mm-hmm. so many like old road mm-hmm. dog comics Right. fit this demographic perfectly so it's not hard for them right to there's one guy i don't know the guy personally but i also mm-hmm. don't mind talking shit on his name sure there's a, a guy kevin downey jr uh-huh uh he, he was no relation no relation that i know of he's been on like two different of those like queer eye type shows where they right. like try to make you a a, a better looking person right and he's got still like the rachel haircut from the 90s <laughs> uh, i'm talking shit about this guy because he was he was at the uh, january 6th rally sure and the local club in indianapolis will have him like three times a year wow and it it's because they're failing but it's also like he fits like he, he can come in and if you just like you know talk some shit about pronouns mm-hmm then you're pretty much pleasing your base and mm-hmm. everyone's happy with the show at the end. Right. Oh boy. Is that where we're going to see Jay Johnston next? Yeah. I just, well, I heard something this morning about where Jay Johnston's going to be next and it doesn't sound good. Oh, bars in are, are involved, I believe. Yeah. 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 It, <laughs> Uh, I heard this is hearsay, so mm. I can't say this is for a fact. I saw a photo of him at January sixth, right, and it appears that now another photo has emerged where he is in fact inside the building. Yeah, 
There's video. There's is video it, of it, Isaac. Is it? Yeah. Okay. See, I didn't know that. I saw just him like frontline where people were like, "Hey, that's the guy." Yeah. <laughs> fucking. Who, who is he? Doesn't he, he's on Bob's Burgers, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's like, they're like Jimmy Pesto. That's Jimmy Pesto. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's that is Jay Johnson. Okay, I thought people were making a joke that it looked like him because yeah. I would see those people like, oh, that's the singer from this metal band, and I'm like, I'll right. take your word for it. Okay. Right. Sure. But. I guess what I heard was that his defense was weighing largely on like, yeah, I was there, but I didn't <laughs> do that. You know, right. I, I was just watching. Oh, I love that defense that essentially um, it was a busy time. Um, I it, There was a lot of things happening. So I, I don't know that I was really like there, you know? Yeah, I was there in body, <laughs> but man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, hey, I'm sure if, if you know, when Trump shells out all the money for the, all these people's legal funds that they'll probably do all right <laughs> god damn it <laughs> um i hope he sees some jail time you know even though he's legally allowed to run as uh for president from jail at least like i think evangelicals could not bring themselves to vote for somebody who's a felon i mean i you would think but i i don't know like it, but there's different types of felons you know there's sure like, well, there's different colors of felons, uh, <laughs> but it's it's like if you got if you were a felon because you were embezzling money from your bank, like right. you're probably not even getting kicked out of your country club. Sure, sure. But you cannot be president if you're a felon, right? You know, uh, the, from what I've read, uh, only a few things. It's constitutionally murky water. Because okay. according to the Constitution. The, you only have to be of a certain age and uh, born in the U.S. Yeah. Now you can't vote for president. Uh huh. You can't vote, but you can. <laughs> yeah. And so That's that. Crazy. Yeah. Maybe there's going to be a, a. Can you put a rush on an amendment? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. I think that's the, the the big takeaway from good or bad. Right. Donald Trump being president taught us that, like, most things were just like gentlemen's agreements. Yeah. There was no enforcing of it not being done that way. Right. Or or now he's like, wait, I was breaking the law. Yeah, you were breaking the law. I don't know if you just like ignored shit, but you were. Yeah. And now now all that shit's coming. He's like, yeah, but being ignorant of a law is fine then, right? Right. That's like, if law. I don't know I'm doing bad, I'm not doing bad, right? No, you're not five. The What is also funny, and I, I don't, I'm not I'm not intentionally being devil's advocate on these conversations, but another thing about the Trump scenario is that it is like, yeah, let's prosecute him. And then it's like, yeah, but if we do, then we also have to look at what every other president forever has also been doing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that job requires blood on your hands. Yeah, literal. Yeah. 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 You're killing people. You're making decisions where a lot of people's lives are at stake. And then you're like, oh, he's got classified documents. And you're like, yeah, but please don't open Jimmy Carter's closet then because right, right, right. I'm sure he has them too. Right. And, and he, everyone loves non-president old man Jimmy Carter. Right, right, right. Uh, How about... Yeah, let's skip this last news story. You want to just do uh, plugs and get you out of here? Yeah. Cool, sure. man. Um, thank you again, Isaac, for joining me here. Uh, this has been uh, everything I kind of hoped for, truly. Yeah, I had a blast. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, where 
can people find you online? Is there anything else you'd like to promote? Things that you want to shout out the yard that's coming up? Uh, sure. I'm I'm on social media. Uh, mm-hmm. Isaac Lanford on all those things. It's the benefit of having a last name that only the people in your immediate family have. Sure. So I can be found on those. And as far as plugs, obviously, the yardtheater.com is where you're going to find the stuff happening there. And that's where I am most of the time. I'll right. also plug Blake Rozier is going to be doing a East Coast run of shows here at the beginning of August that I help book. Yeah. And if someone listening to this happens to be in the Midwest and near the White Rabbit Cabaret in Indianapolis, I strongly urge them to go to that place as well. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure on that tour, there's a union hall date, right? Yeah. 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 Black Blake Rozier's bad show. Yep. I'll, I'll never not find this funny. One of my favorite jokes from Blake is like, he'll, um, he'll start like a bit and then he'll hand somebody his iPhone and he's like, Hey, tape it. And he'll say sound speeds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it always gets me. <laughs> He killed me because uh, at the tomato show, he and Joel Haver were on stage and they were going to do improv, which I later found that Joel has like no background in any live mm-hmm. performance at all. Right. <laughs> but like, we're going to do improv and people are throwing tomatoes. But then like after setting it up forever, they start the scene and they're getting pelted. And then Blake's like, well, hang on a second. Who here has never been to an improv show? <laughs> and that just fucking killed me. <laughs> That's fucking great. Uh, so go check those out. Uh, you know, Blake, Blake's got a lot of dates on that tour. So uh, go check that out. But definitely uh, follow The Yard on socials and check their calendar. A lot of great stuff. And um, usually uh, kind on the wallet. If you're not one of those people who lives in L.A. Uh, who is above low income, which is now set at below 70K a year. Which is like, okay, so everybody in LA is poor. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because I, I maybe know 10 people who make more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know like one person who makes like 130 times that. Sure. They're the ones that are offsetting everything. Yeah, I think that's the offset is that there <laughs> there's like 5% of the that make, you know, eight figures, nine figures yeah. that are have an LA address that are ruining it for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah, we try to be we try to keep things affordable. Yeah. We let shows dictate their own ticket prices for the most part, but right. we try to we try to keep the sodas fu- and stuff at a, a decent rate. What's funny to me about that figure is like I given how I live my life, if I knew that I was gonna make sixty K a year, I would be like, oh I'm golden. Like I could live where I want and yeah, like I wouldn't have. Uh, so it makes me wonder what are these superfluous costs that people are adding up living here? Kids, kids, <laughs> fucking kids go green. Stop having kids. Yeah. That's my message to the world. Yep. Uh, I'm Jake Kroger. I run the comedy bureau. You can find the comedy bureau at the bureau.com at the comedy bureau across socials. You can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket. On Twitter, at MFJ Kroger. Uh, so many great causes to support this time. Please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the comic Bureau to keep it running. And do you have anything to say as we sign up here, Isaac? No, nah, I think I'm good. I said a lot of things. Yeah, you did. <laughs> said a lot of a lot of good, good things. Uh, live comedy is happening. 
please go watch it. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.